0: So I reiterate here, the bill is dead. The story of this
1: great city is about the years before this night. We
2: are free! Hey, this is Ho Ho Hong Kong. I am Andy Curtin. I'm here with my very good friend, Mohammed. Magdi. Muhammad Magdi is back! How you doing, buddy? All good, all good. Uh, before we get started, I just want to say we've just launched the Patreon. Patreon's just been going for a little while now. Oh, yeah. You can check it out, patreon.com slash ho-ho-pod. How good are the episodes on there? I think They're not like the free crap we put up there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where we can say the stuff that uh, we're not that comfortable putting out in the public yeah. sphere, so check it out. Uh, yeah, the Patreon is... is uh, We are eight sc- subscribers away from fully covering our overhead. So if you can jump on there, it makes a big difference and you're going to love the content that we're putting on there. Uh, if you want to find me online, it's at Andy Curtin on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Where do we Muhammad find you, Mohammed
0: Magdi at The Other Mohamed on Instagram, at The Other Mohamed on Patreon and Twitter and Facebook, Mohamed
2: Magdi. Now, our guest today is... Very uh, excited. The very cool uh, Bobsy guy. Bobsy, how you doing, man? Awesome, man. It's good to be here. So, we've got you on today because you are, among many things, the founder of Manor, which is, uh, ki- w- w- how do I describe Manner? Plant-based restaurant chain? Yeah. Change in the world? Yeah, it's a change
1: maker, essentially. It inspires change, but uh, we are fast, slow food. Mm. We are plant-based, and perhaps more importantly for future generations is we are zero waste, zero plastic, and zero food waste. So, what is fast, slow food exactly for the... Uh, Uninformed well, we all know what fast food is, right? But perhaps we haven't stopped to think what fast slow food might be. Essentially, the service is fast. That's the only, only uh, likeness, really. Um, slow food is, is what you might call as real food. Right. Wholesome food, unprocessed, yeah. naturally grown, organic preferably. Um, homemade, um, nutritious So we are fast food of that kind and more importantly and most importantly for me essentially as a founder Is that we've never used plastic in almost the 10 years we've been operating
2: wow wow that's crazy And we are
1: are big on delivery we're top of the list on the delivery platforms We were designed for delivery from the beginning hence the word fast slow food
2: you know, it's so crazy the use of plastic in this city. I, I, we just had Christmas and we, I, my wife bought a doll for my daughter. I just... It was astounding the yeah, amount of plastic. it's just so layers it, and layers. It, so it was a plastic ball with a doll inside. On the outside of the plastic ball was four layers of plastic. Yeah. You know how you, buy, you, know you can buy something and you're like, oh, it's got a plastic film. Yeah. It had four layers of plastic on the outside of it. Then the ball was plastic then each individual part of the doll was wrapped oh in plastic, God. a plastic doll. Yeah. And inside some of those parts was more plastic.
0: Eugh. I thought it was a joke. Yeah. Where, where does the name Mana come from?
1: Ma is the root of the word mother in all languages, yeah. whether it's Arabic, French, Australian, English. <laughs> Australian. <laughs> are they two separate um, things? Yeah, they, 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 are. Are. <laughs> they are, they are. They <laughs> are. Um, but mana also means life force chi in the Polynesian languages, blessing. So if you go to Hawaii or New Zealand. Is that connected
2: po- to Chinese chi?
1: yes so chi as in life force chi mana and um, when i first used the name uh, in the context for mana the restaurants we know today it was sacred food food that was sacred because we specialize in flatbreads that's what we do Um, and mana appears in the bible as sacred food or food from heaven no one knows exactly what it was I always believed it was magic mushrooms, (laughs) (laughs) may well have been. But uh, yeah, yeah, so mana essentially means food is sacred, sacred food. And in today's context of almost 1 billion people going to bed hungry every night, food has never been more sacred. With the concept of wasting food is sacrilege. And you're talking about plastic. I truly believe within 10 years, Single-use plastic will be banned. Virgin plastic will be banned. I hope so. There's mm-hmm. so much plastic on the planet today. Virgin that we plastic d- will we banned. We'll yeah. just have
2: whole plastic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whichever way you look at it. But there's so much plastic floating in the world today oh that we just have to recycle yeah. it and How reuse it.
2: How brutal is it watching those videos? Wow,
0: well, China so has committed to something like 2030 or 2040. Do you want to eradicate all sil- single-use plastic? So, that's pretty soon. It we is. It's I like think China it's very soon. We both lived in China for a long time. They were man. so
2: bad with trash for yeah. a really long time. <laughs> Actually, here's a funny uh, anecdote. So, during the Beijing Olympics, 2018, right? So, in China, they have these illegal... Wait, reci- 2008. To, sorry, 2008. Yeah. They have these illegal recyclers, right? They'll, they'll grab anything off the street mm. and they get some money for it. Mm. The city felt that the presence of them looked ugly. So, they banned them. And then hmm. the trash started piling up everywhere. They yeah. did they were the ones moving the trash. <laughs> yeah. Like how... Well, right before we left Shanghai, they started
0: uh, implementing yeah, th- recycling. Huge change. Yeah, huge it, it, change. It was
2: crazy. The change was like... So, they went from you just dump your trash anywhere to uh, you get fined if you put it in the wrong bin. Yeah, You have to use your face at a lot of places to scan to get the bin open in <laughs> your compound. Awesome. Yeah. yeah which is like... It's awesome, and then it's also like... You yeah, know, it's China, a little scary. Every time China uses facial recognition, you're just like... Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: There's, there's, there's the dark side as well. But um, the beauty about China is they can implement change quickly.
2: Astounding. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like enviable. that. In really the enviable. Really enviable. last couple of years, especially like smoking. Yeah. They were like, you'll never ban smoking. Yeah. Gone overnight. Uh, fireworks, gone overnight. Yeah. That, which is incredible because like, you think like... It's a big part of the Chinese like tr-
0: like celebration culture. Yeah, uh, and it's just gone. It was just gone. Like yeah, it, it styrofoam. Went from from,
1: has styrofoam gone? Do you uh, still see styrofoam? Uh,
2: not a lot. Not a whole yeah. lot. Y- no. The only place you'd see it, I feel, is like maybe like the fresh food markets. Yeah. And yeah. then also, you know, like a small market. Yeah. Where they're just wet market wet, basically. Wet market. Yeah. yeah and then also. The guys, the trash collected. There's this this amazing
1: story of uh, scientists, Chinese and international, looking at satellite images um, of China from space. And they could see all these white lines crisscrossing the country. And at the first glance, they didn't understand what it was. Mm. And a second glance and a closer inspection, they realized they were railway tracks. And the white lines were styrofoam being thrown out of trains. Oh wow! Oh my! Because everything you was served in styrofoam lunch boxes, cups. Yeah. So when they finished eating, it was going out of the window. So I. And w- overnight, they banned styrofoam on on trains.
2: Yeah, I. Yeah, I you cannot recall, see it. On I don't trains. ever recall seeing styrofoam on no. trains. No. Yeah.
1: But, you, you know, you go to Hong Kong, you go to other places and it's, it's still around, believe it or not. So really, I, I believe 2020 this year is waking us up on mass. If we don't wake up now during COVID, shame on us. We have to wake up and realize that we only have one planet. And to continue with business as usual yeah. is killing our future, It's killing our children. We're both parents. We, we, it's taken something as tragic as covid-19 to halt us in our tracks and wake us up and go what that that beep, beep beep are we doing to our planet
0: yeah
2: but i think sometimes you need a catalyst that is as severe as the problem to understand it yeah you know like you, 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 you can't just give someone a nudge to to understand something yeah, you let's know, say someone, maybe an individual, but, but yeah. pe- people in general, to understand something as severe as taking responsibility for, you know, how we're just secretly sadly. fucking everything up. Yeah. Sadly, <laughs> sadly, sadly. Yeah. So, let's take a little step back though.
0: So yeah, we were just speaking Arabic before the recording and I happen to realize you're from Lebanon. When did you... Uh Leave, uh, like, tell us about your background in Lebanon a bit. So,
2: you're born in Lebanon, right? Born and raised. Yeah. um, How did your parents end up in Lebanon? (laughs) Well, my father
1: was a spy, but that's another
2: (laughs) story. Was he really? Nice. Love it. For?
1: Well, he's British, right? Okay um MI5 yeah (laughs) MI6 mate come on (laughs) 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 MI5 you know for for the beginners leave it
0: in yeah exactly (laughs)
1: um but yeah putting joking aside uh born and raised in Beirut um I was 10 when the Lebanese civil war started yeah I started carrying a gun at the age of 10 and a half 11 I experienced um, all my teenage years as a war child, and I left Lebanon to go back to England, the motherland, at the age of 19.
0: Your mom is, is
1: British as well. Both my parents are English. Yeah. Uh, my father's father was fully Lebanese. Right. But he lived in England and married an English woman. So my father, who's technically half Lebanese, was yeah. born and raised in England. Right. But I'm more Lebanese than anyone else in the family because I was born and raised in Lebanon. Right. Yeah. So we didn't go to expat schools. We went to, you know, very Local. good Lebanese yeah. schools, speaking Arabic on the streets, yeah. playing with Lebanese kids. It was only when I was a teenager that I realized I looked differently. Yeah. Up until then, I had no idea I looked different. I
0: saw people in Lebanon who kind of looked like you.
1: Uh, yeah, Lebanese yeah. and Jewish people and that part of the Levant, they, yeah. they they tend to be a mixture of crusaders and Phoenicians and yeah. o- o- older, you know. There's a lot uh, of
2: European yeah, looking Euro, Indi-
1: Indian yeah. influence. Yeah. yeah, totally. And totally. do you
2: have much of a connection with Lebanon today still?
1: I do. Daddy still lives there, believe it or not. And uh, my childhood friends, some of them are still there. You can't
2: and leave now that you're ratting him out for being a well, spy <laughs> on every friggin' podcast you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's well retired now. You know, he's
1: done his bit. yeah <laughs> he, he was a good spy he's you know he, he never never did anything
0: uh... I would dedicate the rest of this podcast just to his dad's story <laughs> yeah by the way
2: <laughs> that was awesome oh man yeah there's gotta be a lot what, of okay
0: so one question about your dad when did you find out that he was a spy did you know from the beginning well we don't know for sure you see All right. Okay. (laughs) True True to his trade, like, hey, Dad,
2: you do you order a lot of dry martinis? I'm (laughs) gonna say too many. (laughs) Um. So, did you come to Hong Kong from Beirut?
1: No. After after Beirut, I moved to England for almost four years, got a phone call from my childhood friend. And what
2: was that? That was university?
1: Supposedly, but I never made it that far. Um, The the idea of going back to England, the motherland, was to go and get a higher education. Um, It turns out that I'm the only one in the family who never went to uni. So I I entered art college and then dropped out, and um, I was too eager to... um, get my hi-fi and my wi-fi and my Mm. records and my fashion and music are my background so i collected a lot of music and a lot of fashion and uh you know i wanted my motorbike and i wanted to buy my own apartment and to do that you can't be a student so i started working in Tesco's as a meat packer, believe it or not Mm -hmm. and back then in the 80s in england a lot of plastic uh, yeah yeah, a lot of plastic (laughs) like cling film and a lot of meats as well yeah you know, my shift would start at 6 a.m. and I was surrounded by butchers. And my job was to pack the meat, display it on the shelving on the floor, and and enter the cold rooms and clean the cold rooms. And the blood would congeal with cold and ice. And yeah. terrible job. But I knew nothing. Not, you know, no difference. However, dog. that yeah. job gave me a, a mortgage to buy a beautiful apartment, a motorbike. The best uh, progressive rock collection of vinyls yeah. and all the clothing I needed.
0: All of that from the meatpacking job.
2: Believe it or not.
0: How long have you d- done this job for? Two years. Wow. And,
2: and did you, so you you're describe yourself as a hippie now, right? Yeah, hippie means hip and happy at the same time. How, were you, was that present in your life at that point? No. No. Okay, so that it change wasn't. came after? Correct.
0: Imagine the hippie
2: working in the meatpacking shop. Yeah, it wouldn't go down well. (laughs) Getting one with the hanging pigs. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So did you come to Hong Kong from England?
1: Uh, No, I went to Thailand and lived in Thailand. uh, I'm guessing that's where you found it. Mm Almost. um, Almost. Thailand shakes. (laughs) The uh, elephant pens. <laughs> yeah, my 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 Bangkok days—that's spelled D A Z E. Yeah, were awesome, um, beautiful. Um,
0: what was the Asia connection? Like, why why did you come to Asia? Well, my
1: childhood what? friend Roger called me up, said, "Bobsey, can you meet me in Bangkok?" I said, "Where's Bangkok?" He said, <laughs> "He said Thailand." Never I said, mind. I said, <laughs> I said, "I said where's Thailand?" <laughs> he said, "Siam, Siam." I said, "Okay, Siam, Siam." Whoa, because yeah, my uncle speech, speech. yeah,
2: speaking, <laughs> British
1: person. <laughs> <laughs> my uncle and my uh, grandfather had lived in the Far East in the Philippines during the war and they were traders and merchants in cloth and textile and so the notion of the Far East was always in yeah. the in, in, in the ether and I said sure i 'll meet you there you know and then ra- remember run, running to the well, his, his business partner had fallen down and had a motorbike accident and was, right. was uh, in hospital, so he needed yeah. someone to go with him. Okay. And I said I'd love to, and to cut the long story short, I meet him in Bangkok, and for one month, I shadow him as an entrepreneur. Right. He was in the jewelry business, and he was going to all these factories and waking up anytime he wanted and, you know, taking days off and in, in, in the exotic land of, of Thailand yes. in, the, in the 80s. Jewish guy? No, Lebanese. Lebanese, Lebanese right. yeah, yeah. So I fell in love with the concept of entrepreneurship. Right. I'm like, damn, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I don't like jewelry. I love fashion. So the idea came that, okay, let's not go back to England anymore. Let's not look at this as a one-month holiday in Bangkok and then go with him back to Beirut. So instead of flying back to London, I flew to Beirut. Gave my father the biggest shock in his life because he wasn't expecting a knock on the door because Bob's is supposed to be in university in England. Right. And here he is knocking on my door in Beirut saying, so he hello. With
2: a gun, assuming it's <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: yeah, yeah, of MI5. Yeah, course. I was going to say. <laughs> You've been downgraded. Yeah. <laughs> you always carried a gun in those days, you know, whether you were MI5 or uh, MI whatever, everyone carried yep. a gun. Yeah. So, I, I started uh, a fashion company um, in Beirut, uh, based in Beirut, manufacturing in Bangkok. Was and your that dad was the Bangkok welcome Bangkok
0: your, your uh, step out of university and into he, the entrepreneurship? He, he, daddy,
1: bless him, is, is a great human being and mm. uh, he, he was totally cool with whatever. You yeah. know, if you're happy, you're happy, great. Um, so, th- that's how my journey started and it was Bangkok, Beirut for many years. Um, in the fashion world, um doing our own fashion business and you know, traveling to Europe and So it were, was were wonderful. you
0: designing the clothes or?
1: I was in the beginning I didn't have the courage, but after one collection of someone else designing, I was, I can do a better job than that. I so yeah. yeah. That's how yeah. so
2: many people start. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I know. I don't know if I'm good, but I'm definitely better than that guy. <laughs> than the definitely. guy I am paying and to he's do the doing it. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a hundred percent of people that start stand up. Yeah. yeah. It just takes one show where they watch someone and they're like, Oh, I'm better than that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can try yeah. that. So how did you, what, what brought the shift from Bangkok to Hong Kong? Um, so,
1: 1989 comes along and the Berlin Wall collapses, the Cold War ends.
2: T- Tiananmen Square.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Tiananmen Square, yeah. <laughs> See, there was people power all over the world, including in China with the, with the students standing up and and. Everywhere else, there was success, immediate success. The Cold War ending, Berlin Wall coming down. apartheid ending, Nelson Mandela being freed, um, the LGBT movement exploding, Amnesty International exploding on the scene, uh, Greenpeace, you name it. People marching on the streets of London and Paris to demonstrate against the burning of the Amazonian rainforest. Mm. Well, what's the Amazonian rainforest got to do with Europeans? So there was this massive people awakening and you could see it in the graffiti on the streets and the fashion wear and the music. If you listen to the music in late 80s, early 90s, it was extremely positive and upbeat. And I just shifted along with that. Um, To cut a long story short, we bankrupted our first fashion company. I find myself in Bangkok without a penny to my name, unable to pay my rent, not knowing what to do. But at the same time, the world was spinning and changing around me. And I was paying attention to these changes. I could hear it in the hip-hop songs. I could see it in the graffiti on the streets. I could see it in the magazines. I could feel it. Beirut, the war ended in Lebanon like that, like that. Boom, 1990. Pfft. Yeah, Nicaragua, San Salvador, everywhere. They, all these wars stopped because the Russians and Americans made peace. Yeah, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. What were the purpose of these wars? They yeah. were just proxy wars. And why are all these people marching in London to protect the rainforest and, and all of that change? And I was, I was privy to it. I was in the right place at the right time, and I went. Oh my God, we are killing our planets. We only have one planet. And I'm in the fashion world. Cotton? The amount of water that's wasted to produce cotton, the Mm. dyeing and the textile industry, the heavy metals. I can't be part of this. So I started to look into environmentally friendly fashion. We didn't have the word ecology back then or organic or sustainable. It wasn't part of the vocabulary. We used the word environmentally friendly. And so, I started to build an eco-friendly fashion company and haven't looked back since. So, my journey begins uh, 30 years ago in 1989.
0: That's the year I was born. And that's what brought me to Hong Kong. (laughs) That's the year I was born, 1989. His journey started then as well. (laughs) Well, amazing. this
2: (laughs) awakening where he realized there is a world.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, welcome, brother. Thank you. (laughs) You're a co-changemaker.
2: Yeah. Well, I like to think. Yeah, Indeed. (laughs)
1: So So that's that's, that's how my journey began. Why Hong Kong? It's my destiny.
2: But what, like, how did that happen? I mean, I understand the feeling of it, but what brought it into your mind? Well, how do I know it was my destiny? Because it felt
1: right from day one. But what, but like, why? You just threw a dot at the map or you just looked at the, like. So you want to go cerebral, do you?
2: No, I just Mm want to know what, what, why. Yeah,
1: you want the masculine answer. Okay. Um, I don't know. I had no family, no job. The connection was my fashion we were selling our designs from bangkok to hong kong okay we were displayed in sable which is a beautiful japanese store was a beautiful japanese store in pacific place no longer exists okay it was the biggest prize you could get in hong kong so we had our collections inside sable and i flew down to hong kong twice to meet buyers and each time i would come having a british passport comparing how the ca- the chaos of Bangkok to the beauty of Hong Kong was yeah. just unimaginable. Really? The beautiful banyan th- trees. I would have
2: thought back then it was maybe a bit... You know, I, reading about what it was like in the 70s and stuff, I would have thought it was maybe dirty or Hong Kong
1: yeah oh yeah. it was beautiful the tra- the tram the uh, MTR so that was early ev- ev- 90s, every three yeah. minutes an MTR tr- the but cleanest
2: it back then yeah the, the, the MTR, this is, 90, this is 1992
1: world, two, yeah yeah early 90s this is 92 I came in November, November the 5th 1992 the trams the beautiful trams the beautiful trees we have in the city the yeah. banyan trees coming out of the granite walls the beautiful parks Hong Kong Park um, the MTR, the, the taxis with meters, so you didn't have to spend 20 minutes hassling with the taxi driver to take you up the road.
2: Oh my God, yeah. compared to Bangkok. So,
1: com- comparing Ooh, Bangkok yeah. in
2: 1990,
0: do they Kong have uh, yeah. tuk tuks in Bangkok then as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. The best. <laughs> we, we love the tuk tuks, you know, but. Oh, I'll uh, take a tuk tuk. As the
1: pollution yeah, got worse and worse, and as you became aware of something called pollution, you're yeah. you riding the. Tuk Tuk could never be the same again. Right. right? Yeah. And that's the beauty of awareness. And that mantra on the wall says what does it say?
2: The most radical act of any generation is to become aware. Yeah, you need to think about that one so Yeah, I'm change. just thinking about how many friends I have that lack self-awareness <laughs> <laughs> Any historical change Oh uh, man, we can both We just can. sit him down here yeah. and be like Just tell me what you think that yeah. says <laughs> <and state." laughs> Indeed what, what does that mean to you? Yeah, what do you think? He's person, like, I don't know <laughs> Person who keeps talking about himself Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh man
1: so any historical change of, 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 of significance has come with, with awareness.
2: I mean, this I understand. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to a city and you're like, this, is my place. this has got my bait. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, there's something drawing me here. I mean, I definitely yeah. like when I Shanghai 2009, yeah. I was just like, that's I it. felt like I was at the center of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was like, man, this is where all the action has been happening. and yeah. It is happening right yeah. now. Um, I don't think Except that's Except it was happening in
1: Hong Kong more.
2: Yeah, maybe. You know, I mean, that was a pretty interesting time though because like 2010 was the World Expo Mm. and the city was visibly changing from day to day. You know, like you could get on the NTR or the metro there Mm. and go past the map. They were building the metro faster than they were putting the maps up in the metro. Yeah, it's crazy. That was surreal. That's where you're just like, this is just... It's like being at a, in a flower as it's like opening up or something. And I don't yeah. think it's like that anymore.
1: Shanghai is a beautiful city. My wife's so. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, so you got and your a, a, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's the boss. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, whenever I visit Shanghai, it's a beautiful
0: city. I mean. When was the last time you were there? Um, two years ago. Yeah, great. It's shit now. Yeah, it's (laughs) not. It's not that great right now. It's all gone. (laughs) We both left last summer. Like not this year. Last year, summer two thousand nineteen. It changed in two thousand eighteen for uh,
2: significantly for the worst.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. So going back to Hong Kong though. So you came out here, and I've and I know your story when you initially arrived. You didn't have money for for the deposit of a house. How did you tackle that problem? Man, that was a mountain. That
1: was Mm. like climbing Everest. How Uh, on earth? Can you get say your you rents eleven thousand, which yeah. was in Discovery which is Bay? Cro- wow. Like if lovely. I was yeah, if I was to live in Discovery Bay back then, the cheapest apartment I could find was eleven thousand. This is nineteen ninety
0: three. Why did you want to live in Discovery Bay?
1: Well, the first place I went to, likes, I, I was taken to Discovery streets. Bay. Yeah. <laughs> 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 ah, yes, indeed. <laughs> I was whisked off to Discovery Bay because yep. the the contact we had in Hong Kong, who'd actually brought our fashion over from Bangkok to Hong Kong, yeah. lived in Discovery Bay. Okay. It's a nice so place. It's a nice beautiful, place. Beautiful, yeah. especially back then. First place he took me to was Discovery Bay. Anyway, so the idea of putting down 33000 in one go, ah, yeah. you had to have 33000 in your bank account. Yeah. Well, how on earth are you going to get 33000 if yeah. you don't know what you're eating the next day? Right. Which is
2: nothing now. Now, yeah, yeah
1: now it's, it's Yeah. Um, but for me, it was a mountain. I could never. I'm mean like, h-
0: yeah.
1: how can I have thirty three thousand? How much do I have to earn yeah. to be able to put thirty three thousand aside? Right. It's still eight. <laughs> yeah, and, and then you pay your transportation or wh- you know whatever it is you needed to do. Um, but eventually, eventually, money comes and. Yeah, but what did you actually do?
2: <laughs> oh, I know the answer to this. He went to Lama and lived in a hut that he built. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, lived, I lived on Lama Island. So. Oh, you do? I, I thought you were joking. No, this oh, is wow. actually <laughs> what he did.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. So true story. Can true you story. So <laughs> everywhere I went, people would say, hey, are you from Lama? No. Hmm. Do you live on Lama? No. What is Lama? What the hell is everywhere Lama? Everywhere no? I went, people would say, hey, do you live on Lama? No. so I had why to, I had is
2: that? Why did they ask me? that? I'm not
1: sure. I think it's because I wore suits and I had very short hair back then. So, <laughs> <laughs> I needed to find out what this llama was. So, yeah. eventually, I make it on a Saturday. Yeah. By Sunday, I'm living there. <laughs> As my destiny would have it, I got kicked out of my apartment back then by my crazy landlady who right. accused me of wearing her ex-husband's flowery shirt when, <laughs> she, when she told me I can wear anything I want from the wardrobe. So, of course, I took the flowery shirt. Yeah was The only decent shirt he had, she saw me at the party that night wearing it and she flipped, huh. she was drunk. And it wasn't just my fault, my friend uh, wasn't respecting her as a vegetarian and kept on putting fish and meat in her fridge. And right, she'd, she'd had enough of him. And
2: um, were you a vegetarian at that point?
1: He, I was, I was just, I just turned, yes, you just become I'd a vegetarian. I just turned, yeah. I read an article on the real cost of a hamburger. And flipped overnight. I said, well, I can't be an environmentalist and still eating meat. Mm. So, overnight, I dropped chicken, beef, pork, all the red meats.
2: But how astounding is it that on, in a city where Mongkok, I believe, is the densest place on earth, mm. that's so small, and you can go to Lama Island and live huh. in, essentially, the jungle, right? Pretty much, yeah.
1: So, I lived uh, on a, a piece of land uh, called or known as Hunter's. Okay. Hunter's Beach and Hunters, and Hunter was still is an amazing uh, first-generation Berkeley hippie Californian artist. Oh, this is a guy. This guy, and he lived on Lama in the he 80s and 90s. There. No, he left it ni- in 1997. Oh, okay. And there were dozens of articles written on him because he walked around barefoot, was a fruitarian, only ate fruits. Hmm. It was an amazing artist, farmer, collector. He had over 500 broken umbrellas on his land. Hmm. He would just hoard and pick up rubbish. And every now and then he'd strike lucky and find an antique worth 20,000 US dollars. Right. Ship it to California, sell it for a fortune. That's how he made his money. Yeah. But he became my mentor, my teacher. And I lived on the land, under the stars, on his land while he lived on the boat. And I lived there for six months. Because I couldn't afford rent. Yeah. And I was just enamored by this amazing hippie artist of integrity. He'd walk around and he'd see rubbish, he'd pick it up. Yeah. So I imitated him. Yeah. If I'm walking now, I see rubbish, I pick it up. Yeah. And I learned that from him. He taught me how to make fires, how to build fires, how to respect fires, how to put them to sleep. He taught me about the seasons. He taught me about the solstice, the equinox, art, organic farming. I learned so much from the man. And those six months I lived at Hunter's in the open under the stars, were beautiful. And after that, um, or during that period, I would go to town. I was freelancing with Friends of the Earth. Is it wait? Is that guy still alive? Hunter, yeah, he lives in California now. Um, He—I was trying to work out his age. He must be seventy-five now. Wow! There you go. Um, so it's basically amazing. Retired. He would—he—he'd only eat fruits, nuts, and seeds. Mm. And he'd until only, now he'd, until now he'd only eat salads and four spends times a year most of
2: his day pooping <laughs> <laughs> amazing
1: <laughs> he'd only eat salads four times a year on the two solstices and on two equinoxes we'd make a big salad you know right that yeah. was like whoa that's his I'm, I'm going out i'm gonna yeah. eat a salad that's, you know that's his cocaine
2: <laughs> that's his cocaine so <laughs> <laughs> and he was as fit as an
1: ox and what were you doing for money i was uh freelancing with uh friends of the earth What's Friends of the Earth? It's an environmental charity. Okay. So back then, you had Friends of the Earth and Worldwide Fund. I went to see both. I said, hi, I'm an eco-designer. How can I help? You said, said,
2: I'm living in the jungle. They said, you're hired.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hired straight away. (laughs) Yeah. So I designed a project called Trees for Life. And I designed their brochures, their flyers, their T-shirts, their logos, their literature, and planted trees. And they paid me in three installments of $10,000 each. Right. So, and I did, I did my I did design some postcards for them. And, and at the same time, I started Gaia, my own company, Eco Fashion. Doing, uh, doing clothing. Doing clothing. Yeah. Clothing that raises awareness. A bit like food, mana that raises that awareness. Was clothing all That pre raises hand awareness. pre-handover, yeah? Yeah. So, this was 93, 94, 95, 96, yeah. 97, 98, 99. Okay. So through Each one the after handover, the other. okay, yeah. <laughs> and then we opened the Bookworm Cafe just after the handover, the first vegetarian lifestyle, organic hippie bohemian hangout space in Hong Kong, right? What called the Bookworm Cafe on Lamma Island. Mm-hmm. So from that from that Sunday onwards, I lived on Lamma Island. Yeah. So from May 1993. I became a full-time Lamaite Lama boy. Yeah, discovered the beauty of the island, the fact that you can walk around barefoot. Yeah, um, no no transportation and, and so many Bohemians living there. It's
2: still got a bit there. of a reputation for that. It does.
1: Now. Yeah, it does. It so
2: does. I, I I saw in one of your interviews. You mentioned at that time that you were you were you know, communicating a message that people didn't understand what you were saying and they didn't understand where you'd come from. Mm. You know, what exactly did you mean by that? You know, what didn't were you
0: under- speaking Arabic?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, I and wa- everyone's like, we don't know what the, this guy is saying. Man, when I go to Beirut and, yeah. I,
0: and
1: the pe- Lebanese are saying, look at that guy, he looks like a girl in Arabic. Yeah. And I go up to him and say, hey, boys, what's up? <laughs> 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 they fall off their chairs, yeah. man. They just, I was with Hezbollah once. Oh wow, uh, what h- were you doing there? In Baalbak. In Baalbak. Playing hey. yeah.
2: soccer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and um, do you know in Arabic you say, Ketukharik Allah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Ketukharik <laughs> Allah. Yeah, yeah. Means thank God. Yeah. And um, I told them, Ketukharik Allah. Yeah. I refer uh, to God as feminine. Right. Oof. Yeah. And but that went
2: down well. Ooh,
1: yeah. They took one look at me like that. Yeah and there was a tense moment and then they just cracked up laughing
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. they were like rolling the movies, on yeah. the floor
1: they said we've never heard that before you and either get a bullet <laughs> in the head or do a laugh yeah you roll the dice on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that did. was a good one but they were young they were just hanging outside and you know yeah
2: just being Hezbollah yeah. but I, I think I, I, I,
1: I think i uh, changed your question somewhat. That That's alright. Took we'll us in to a it. different direction. Yeah.
2: I'll get there. So the question was: You felt at the time that people didn't understand where you were coming from yeah. and what you were saying. You yeah. know, what, what were they missing? You know, what was the so interaction?
1: The, the, my my uh, problem back then is when people would ask me, so, "So, where are you from? You have a funny accent." And I would say, and I truly believed it, and I still do, but I'm more diplomatic now. Right. And I would say, I'm from planet Earth. <laughs> right my god that never went down well
0: yeah so Woo. people would just dismiss you as like someone Woo. who's like and crazy like, or there's whatever there's
1: some and people till this
0: day 30 years later who, yeah.
1: who mentioned that as Bobsey. He? He's he's nuts yeah. remember what he told me once on the ferry he I just, uh, yeah I you know in Hong Kong is like I'm from I know. planet
2: earth they'd be like America <laughs> so there was that <laughs> yeah.
1: so after a while I learned to stop saying that but I, I truly believe it and I still do but obviously you can't say that so so what do people see when they look at you what was wrong with your look uh, well, I mean, uh, it attracted some people, right? Um, and I mean, I'm,
2: I'm interpreting what you've said before. Yeah, I'm right. That's not my own judgment. S-
1: so to get to the to the to the matter, really, mm. uh, I was raising awareness through everything I did. Environmental awareness. I yeah. was planting a lot of trees on Lama. I was cleaning up beaches. Um, I had Gaia, my company, which was uh, an environmentally friendly fashion company that had beautiful graphics and messages on its clothing and the packaging was all made from craft paper. So I I just stuck out. A lot of people thought I was a very clever businessman who had a lot of money because I was fairly successful by then or relatively successful in people's eyes. And they just could not understand why someone would be so dedicated to the environment. What's the catch? what yeah. are you up to what are you really up to right. are you really What's planting in for you? are you yeah. really planting trees or do you have a marijuana plantation up there right honestly some people kind of believe that i still do mm-hmm. yeah i don't blame you yeah <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, so, so yeah so 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 it it was odd for somebody i think to be so fully dedicated and committed without to, uh,
0: any ulterior motive except for, yes
1: yeah. and, and they could never understand that and some people just dismissed me or disliked me yeah but at the same time there was a lot of people who admired something like that and supported it and still do
2: so when did mana come into the picture
1: oh not till 2011 but before mana there was a bookworm cafe which was legendary
2: uh, we, Lama. we Yeah, did we did had queues. Or we, or was we, was man, we,
1: we had queues going out the door on weekends. It was the only place in Hong Kong where you could get a tempeh burger, a tofu burger, and a bean burger. Right. And we're talking 98, 99. Oh,
0: that's like this. This and was just a, like a whole not page even of trendy. salads.
1: Yeah. A vegan salad back then, which later we called the Life Salad because of Life Cafe that I opened in 2004. Mm. But the food was just unparalleled. Yeah. And here we are in the Bookworm. Running it, a bunch of bohemians, um, the best food in Hong Kong by far, right. by far. And we had reggae nights and comedy nights and movie nights and talks and documentaries and infomentries. It was a hub. Right. It was a hub of consciousness. So and people
0: would come from Hong Kong to Lama to just come to Bookworm Cafe. Correct, yeah. Correct. Okay.
1: Even people coming down across the border, even people coming down from... Because, you know, where could you get food like that? Yeah. Are you
2: aware of the bookworms in
1: mainland China, the bookworm cafe? Well, the chap came and op- came to Bookworm first and Peanut. then went and opened it. Real. Correct. What? Yeah, correct. He, we, 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 we
2: all recognized him when he
0: came. I, I, we worked with Peter for years. Yeah. I
2: mean, we, he had comedy shows in Chengdu and, and Suzhou. And he ben had Yen. Suzhou,
0: Beijing, and yeah. Chengdu. Yeah. yeah, And then they closed one by one but over the last w- couple of years as well. they were not a vegetarian... No, no. They were just... No. Yeah. yeah no, they were like a pro- more like a bookstore... Correct. ...that is also a coffee which, shop. Which, or
1: which is okay. how the bookworm started. Now, I didn't call it the bookworm. I would have called it Gaia Cafe, but yeah. it was already called the bookworm, so we kept the name. Yeah. But that was essentially Hong Kong's first lifestyle committed plant-based hub.
0: Yeah.
2: And so what? And then what, in
1: 2004, the we brought it overseas to Hong Kong Island and opened Life Cafe.
2: Oh, so you changed the name when you moved it. Correct. But it's, it's continued on.
1: Correct. I continued on. It was a different business, different shareholders, different capital, different investment. Mm. But for me, it was still the message. We're in, still in your raising awareness. It was awareness. The continuation of that Absolutely. project. And, and in the media's mind because there was Bob'sy from over there and is over here. Yeah. Even now, it's the same thing, as far as people Where, are concerned. Uh, w- what happened to Bookworm and Lama? Bookworm, uh, 2004, once we opened Life Cafe, yeah. I couldn't handle both. Right. Yeah. So, our general manager back then took over, eventually he owned it. Yeah. And it wasn't up until 2020 that he actually turned it into bwc bookworm cafe Right. and now he's got pork and ribs and oh beef no. and yeah oh yeah it, it, it took him what is it 16 years to be able to, to do what he truly wants to do but right. because the bookworm was so well established yeah it was like a museum b- museum between 2004 5 6 7 yeah. he didn't have the courage to change anything right the only thing he changed is he took the word bobsy out it mm. um, was something called The Bobsy Shake Which we called The B Shake He removed that But everything else Pretty much remained Like a museum Was that a yeah. dance
2: Or a drink? It was a <laughs> shake <laughs> 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 So what's the relationship Then you, you, why, why did you start Manor If you had Life Café?
1: I pulled out of Life in in uh, seven years later. Are we I, talking I, about I, the cafe now, Correct, or? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> life, life Cafe. It was called Life. It was never called Life Cafe, but mm. people insisted on calling it Life Cafe. Right.
0: Uh, I got disheartened so I, so with my business partners. So confuse it with Yeah, when yeah, you're yeah, yeah, on the phone with someone, he's <laughs> like, hey, where are you? I'm in Life. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: people would say yeah, that all the time. Yeah. yeah. Now, the reason we didn't call it Life Cafe was out of respect for David Life, the famous yoga teacher who had the legendary Life Cafe in New York in the 80s. Okay. And he became a friend and I said, David, I can't call it Life Cafe. He said, Of I mean, course he doesn't you can. own that word. <laughs> <laughs> so, out of respect, we called it Life. Yeah. Um,
0: life Coffee. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah life, life was arguably the most successful restaurant in Soho. Uh, Queue is going down the door. We introduced so many new things.
2: And so, did Mana start at, at the moment of departure from life? Really? Ish. In between,
1: mm-hmm. I launched a campaign called Save the Human. Don't eat the planet. And that was essentially to raise awareness about the impact our diets are having on our natural resources. Right. So the message was reduce, reduce. Your consumption of meat, fish, and dairy, and we did a video, a documentary, and we took it to schools. And out of that was born Green Mondays and Green Common. Oh, they David Young! All offshoots of, of that campaign, yeah. Mm. Oh, great, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they've been a big supporter of the hashtag One Week No Meat. Yeah, amazing yeah. what what David Young's doing, and he's been my guest on Breakfast with Bob Z. And
2: well, so I just have a, an interesting side question there because yeah. one of the things he's really into is fake meat.
1: Yeah. And you don't think that that's a way to go, right? I do. I mean, I've been asked that question a million times, and you just gave me my millionth dollar right now. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. No, it is a way to go. It's just not the way I want to go, because I'd rather make my patties from beans and chickpeas and lentils. Right. But, excuse me, it is playing an important role. Mm. Um, It's got a much, much lower eco footprint. So, so give me that, that real meat. Right? Yeah, give, yeah, give me that any time than, than eating animals, because eating animals is, is, is a scourge of humanity today. It's something that we're going to look back on in 20 years' time, just the way we look back on slavery now and say, how on earth could we enslave 100 billion, 100 billion industrially farmed animals? Mm-hmm. How on earth could we do that? And we know now because, you know, the the karma, we're paying the price today. So give me what you call fake meat anytime over eating animals. Um, But Mana doesn't have to do it. We don't need to do it. Right. But Joe Bloggs restaurant down the road and your average restaurant is doing it because it's a big market. Yeah. It's the fastest growing market right now.
2: It's also, you know, one of the reasons behind hashtag one week no meat is... And, and it's another interesting question I want to ask you is, is because you were vegetarian first, but you ate fish, mm. you know, and I, someone said to me recently, they're like, either you're vegan or you're nothing. Mm. And it's like, well, you know, even if you still eat meat and you have the amount of meat you're eating, you know, that's a difference. You know, it's I feel like it's a way for people because it can be such a space jump to go from eating meat every day to just veganism. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like it's a good way to, to, to shift
1: Yeah, it's an excellent way and um if you notice our message with save the human which is a wonderful title today Mm. was reduce your consumption of meat fish and dairy understand you
0: do what you can do yeah
1: understand where your food is coming from at what cost to your children to your own future Mm. to your health understand that first and then you will naturally not want to eat animals but you can't go around shaking your finger telling people on Monday morning you all have to become vegetarian. Right. It doesn't How, work that way, way.
2: people think it's like you yeah. tell someone to do something they're like fuck you. Yeah, I'm doing yeah. what I, do it, what
1: I want. It doesn't work that way right? Yeah. You gotta, so you gotta I, shift I, the motivation. Correct. I learned long time ago that if I want to capture the nine people in the audience of ten I would tell them reduce your consumption of meat and if I wanted to lose the nine people in the audience of ten I would say stop eating meat. Right. Yeah. So the message has always been diplomatic uh, compassionate understanding that you can't go cold turkey, excuse the pun, overnight. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: can't. You
2: got to go cold you know, beef first. <laughs> yeah, you know, cold you got to... Cold meat. <laughs> go
1: step by step. It's a lot more sustainable. And look at anybody who's jumped into something overnight. You see them six months later, they said, yeah, been there, done that.
2: Yeah. So do you feel like man has been the biggest project that you've worked on so far?
1: It's been the most clear, vibrant Impactful message I've worked on so far, yes. A lot more than uh, charitable work, which I chair a charity called Able Charity. Um, so I, I find conscious business a lot more powerful than NGOs and charities.
2: Right. Okay. So, what has been the biggest challenge with running MANA? Salary burden paying the huge salaries we have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is just this city, right? It's three times our our rent. Your staff have got to pay their
1: rent. Yeah. People always blame the rent. Yes, the Mm -hmm. the rent's not cheap, but it's a salary burden that's always been three times our rent. Right. Then the cost of food, when you want to use good quality, wholesome, organic food... Um, so, the, <laughs> the biggest challenge has been operating a business in Babylon, in, in, in the materialism S- consciousness, Sandwich. in when a materialistic. City.
2: I mean, and Soho I mean, is by its definition yeah. that, right? I mean, it's the last place you'd expect to be a bastion of saving the planet mm. <laughs> in, in, in many ways. Is that a fair statement?
1: I wouldn't single out Soho um, because Soho's always had a creative edge to it. You, you find more individual restaurants, yeah. uh, whether they're vegetarian, plant-based or not. You, you find more creativity. But, I mean, people often say, you know, why Hong Kong? You, you'd, you'd be a lot more successful here if you were in London or San Francisco or right. Paris. And that is true. But it's my destiny to be here. It's my destiny to have started doing this almost 30 years ago.
2: Well, it's an interesting question because, you know, the, uh, the stereotypical hippie mm. and the stereotypical entrepreneur are o- almost yeah. the opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, it seems like you've captured both of those. Like, how do you balance, you know, those conflicting at times? Yeah, you know, for, me, for me, there's been no
1: conflict at all. I'm very comfortable in a trendy bar in, 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 in San Francisco and I'm equally comfortable barefoot up at the Rock Circle in the Lama Forest. Right. But I, at some I've point never struggled with both. And that's to do with my upbringing in Beirut, I think. That, remember, my background is fashion. Yeah. And music. And then food came later. So you, you know, know how to fit in, basically, in like different...
2: Y- yeah, I'm But there's I'm an I'm element I'm of I'm like for a business to work. And as you say, the bottom line has been the biggest challenge. You know, do you find that... I, I'm assuming at some point in this, you do have to be a hard-nosed businessman.
1: Or you employ hard-nosed businessmen <laughs> because I'm not. Right. So my skill has never been balancing the checkbooks and balancing the books. and, and I've, I've never had an interest in that, mm. believe it or not. But you employ such people. you You partner up with such people. You bring them into your fold because they're a lot better at running business. Yeah. Whilst i've always focused on the creative aspect the branding the culture the integrity the message the
2: even just coming in today and the, the limited interaction i had with your staff there was a kind of family vibe going on mm. like you were when i when i was like i'm here to meet Bobsey. she knew my name like it, 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 there was a different vibe i feel like i was getting to someone's house a little yeah. bit is that a fair statement thank you thank you for I'm observing that i yes, like, it's genuinely i noticed it that as is. i came in and Adelaide, our community
1: manager, is off this week. Mm. So she would have given you an even bigger welcome, perhaps. Wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've i treated um, our staff always, f- since forever, like family. And that often gets in the way of business because, n- no, no, we, we can't let go of that person. Come on, she's a beautiful girl. She's got a family. But the business side says, well, wait a minute. She's not performing. She's yeah. overpaid. She's stealing. She's... So, <laughs> wow! Well. Humanity yeah. always. Took a jump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's a heroin addict. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she
0: spits in the food. It's <laughs> a whole nightmare. <laughs> You'd be
1: surprised after twenty-five years in the in the food world what what we've come across. Oh, no. you know.
2: oh, yeah. I, d- I don't know if I want to know. I
0: kind of want to know. <laughs> just tell us a couple of like you Let's know little just nuggets.
2: Say that uh, mucus is plant-based.
0: <laughs> 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 it's organic for sure. <laughs> organic, no doubt.
1: Yes. No, no not, nothing like that. But, um, you know, some employees over over the decades have, mm. have stuck their hand in the till and... and,
0: and yeah, we've that's had that. Th- yeah, yeah, course. that's thunder though. Like, yeah. like any F&B business pretty yeah. much have had that. But is there any like like particular interesting or like wild story that happened with the staff or in the, in the stores in Not general? really, no. No? No, sorry
1: to disappoint you yeah, on that I front. Know. And if there are, I've forgotten them because I, d- I don't focus on that really. I uh-huh. imagine the yeah.
0: last place you would want to see a fight in, like, is manna, a place it like manna. It would manor. be pretty yeah. ironic. It
2: would be very <laughs> ironic. If I broke out today and someone died in life? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <A> falafel overdose. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most important thing that you're doing now as an individual, do you think? Raising awareness. And wh- how do you facilitate that primarily?
1: I think by creating something beautiful that people actually need um, in, with beauty. Um, whether it's the quotes on the walls, the music we're playing, our packaging, the quality of our food, the vibes you feel. There's beauty when you come into mana. Now, not everyone maybe pays attention to it, but if you open your eyes for a few moments, you'll realize that mana is a beautiful business. And when you do something beautiful, whether it's music, fashion, comedy, yeah. that that's aesthetic attracts people and then you add the depth and the width of what you need to say. So comedy can be very entertaining and get people laughing, but if you deliver profound messages with laughter, yeah. it's gonna go straight to their heart. Yeah. And I found the same thing with doing, with an, uh, being an entrepreneur with, through business. Way, way back, if my designs were no good, nobody was going to buy them, no matter how beautiful the message was. And the same with food, if your food is no good, no one's going to come back and eat it, even if you're zero waste, zero plastic. So, first um, drive as an entrepreneur was to create beauty, and within that beauty, you deliver your message of awareness.
2: Bobsey, that is awesome. Thank you That's so much really for coming cool. out today, man. I really Pleasure. appreciate it. Hey, can you stick around for a quick Patreon episode? Yeah, man. Fantastic. Thanks, Thanks so, man. Sure you're welcome.
1: On. Thank you. wa sahla. <laughs>